and I'm definitely a geek. One might assume that in the land of manga, anime, and yes, cosplay, Halloween would be a huge deal. And you'd be right, unless you DeLoreaned it back to a mere seven or eight years ago when it still wasn't anything but a night where expats and foreigners annoyed Japanese folks on the trains and in the streets. I'm including two great articles about the history of Japanese Halloween in the show notes if you're interested in any of the komakai details. But suffice to say, it's a fairly recent phenomenon. And it's quite a surreal experience to watch something go from literally being nothing to being everywhere and not fading away seemingly overnight. One year, Halloween was in the fringes, just like it had always been. And suddenly the next year, seemingly everyone was getting in on Halloween. Shibuya Crossing in Tokyo was overflowing with costumes, as were the streets of Osaka's Dotonbori District and Universal Studios Japan. Suddenly, Halloween was a thing. I mean, if you think about it, it, it makes sense. Cosplay is a thing here, so why wouldn't people love a holiday with cosplay? The other draw of Japanese Halloween is that it's a chance to not be yourself for a day, to break the rules and enjoy yourself, and drinking and partying. After all, unlike some other countries, it's mostly for adults here. And while I have seen children's events at schools, train stations, and shopping malls, I have yet to see anyone trick-or-treating in public. I recently asked a few co-workers how Halloween in Japan had happened. I mean, it surely didn't happen in a year, right? There had to have been a much more gradual build-up, and this can be seen in the articles that I linked to. And yet, perhaps, there was something that influenced the tipping point between it not being a thing to it being a thing. My co-workers, every single one of them, mentioned that commercials on TV had influenced their perceptions of Halloween. And they mentioned commercials for Universal Studios Japan as a specific example. I noticed a few of these commercials for USJ on TV this week while I was at the gym. They were run in between a chat show segment about Halloween. And they were discussing the most popular celebrities that the men they had surveyed said they wanted to be for Halloween. It was being discussed in a way that it was like everyone knew what Halloween was. Like it had always been this way. And while you can't ignore how marketing opportunities for stores and businesses to push Halloween merchandise, as well as the impact that social media, especially Japanese Twitter and Instagram, have had on the popularity of Halloween here, let what my coworker said sink in for a second. Commercials on television, broadcast television, had influenced the population in such a way that it, it helped to make Halloween a thing. All across Japan. While more and more broadcast and cable television begins to fade into irrelevance in many countries, it's still quite strong in Japan. Streaming took a long while to arrive in Japan, most likely due to the reluctance of Japanese companies to embrace changes to their business models. After all, when I compare rental chain Staya to Blockbuster Video, you might laugh, but Staya is as strong as ever with 1,400 locations all across Japan. Japanese streaming site Niko Niko Dolga has a culture and a life all of its own, and both it as well as YouTube had an early lead with internet video, and both continue to be very popular in Japan. But streaming of professional content has picked up ever since Hulu in 2014, and Amazon and Netflix in 2015 moved into the Japanese market. 
Since then, local competitors have sprung up one after another, such as mobile carrier Docomo's DTV, mobile carrier U-Mobile's U-Next, DMM.com for music and live performances, as well as a host of others, including free multi-channel online TV service Abema TV. Even Staya has gotten in the game with their own streaming rental service, Staya TV. Suddenly, we have choices. So let's talk about our choices for a bit. Docomo's DTV service is a bargain at only 500 yen a month for unlimited streaming of 120,000 movies and TV shows, and both international and Japanese titles are included. While Docomo is a mobile carrier, you are not required to have a phone with them to subscribe to the service, although the interface is only available in Japanese. But if you're interested and live in Japan, they have a 31-day free trial available. U-Mobile's U-Next service also has a 31-day free trial and includes around the same amount of titles as DTV. And while U-Next has a higher monthly cost at 1,990 yen, the service not only includes movies and TV shows, but access to over 70 magazines and over 200,000 books and manga. Members also receive 1,200 yen in Unext points per month, and these can be used to rent movies or presumably TV shows and other content that's not available in the unlimited plan. Tsutaya TV has an interesting plan. You can get unlimited viewing of 85,000 titles for around 1,000 yen a month, but they also have additional plans just for DVD rentals by mail, as well as one that combines the two with both DVD rentals by mail and unlimited streaming of those titles for around 2,500 yen a month. And yes, like I said, DVD rentals are still very popular in Japan. Hulu is also around 1,000 yen a month, and, of course, it's primarily focused on television, both Japanese and international titles, as well as some movies. So if you're big into television, Hulu might be a great option for you. And as for Amazon Prime and Netflix, well, I actually received a question this week from Daniel Fight, who wrote in asking, How does Prime work in Japan versus the U.S.? Are there many videos? Any crossover with Twitch Prime? Well, as far as Amazon Prime goes, one thing to keep in mind is that Amazon Japan is run as a separate, independent entity, so policies and content is going to vary from region to region. That said, the first thing you will notice about Prime is the price. For example, in the United States, it's priced at $99 US, in Canada it's $79 Canadian, and in the UK it's £79. Pounds. But in Japan, it's only 3,900 yen per year. That's more than 50% off the cost of most other countries. And this may be due to the fact that not all of the prime benefits that are available in other countries are available in Japan yet, but they keep adding more and more. And similar to Netflix, Amazon Originals are available in Japan, and they also have original Japanese content as well. But one important thing to note is that while Netflix Japan will allow you to change the user interface to English, Japanese, or a host of other languages, Amazon Prime Video and Music as well is only available in Japanese, which means that the titles and names of movies and music and TV shows will only display in Japanese. And this could make it difficult to search if you're not proficient in Japanese. Amazon Prime Video also separates Western movies into two types, dubbed into Japanese and subtitled in English. They're separate listings on Amazon. This, I think, it, it's the same as iTunes. If you go to buy a movie, unfortunately, you only get one of the movies. You have to choose dub or sub. And frankly, I think if you're buying the movie, you should get all the options. 
Netflix, of course, will allow you to change languages on the fly. I tried this out recently with Fuller House. I'm a fan of cheesy shows. What can I say? (laughs) But uh, Fuller House in its third season, I went and I looked and decided, why don't I listen to the Japanese for just a little bit? And so I switched the audio language to Japanese and I switched the subtitles to English. And then I tried switching the subtitles to Japanese and the audio language to English. and, And so you can just choose. You pick whatever show you want to watch and if it has subtitles or it has alternate language tracks, you can switch on the fly. So it, Amazon's interface needs a little work in that respect. All told, Netflix is definitely a friendlier interface for someone living in Japan who doesn't have much Japanese language knowledge. But Amazon in Japan also has a lot of content, and especially Japanese content. There's tons of videos and tons of original content and movies and TV shows. In fact, I would recommend that If you're not into Japanese content, you'd be better served with going with Netflix. But if you order a lot off Amazon anyway, Prime as a service is absolutely worth it. Not only do you get free Prime shipping, which in Japan tends to be overnight shipping on most products, or even if you're lucky in Osaka, sometimes you can get same-day shipping if you order early enough in the day. Although lately this has been changing and they've been using a specific Amazon delivery service that frankly isn't very good. Um, I would actually recommend sending it to a convenience store. That way you can pick it up anytime and you don't have to deal with couriers that are either late or don't come at all and packages that smell like smoke. But I digress. You also get among all the benefits that I've said, you get access to Prime Photos as well as one to two hour delivery service Prime Now, which will bring things to your door in two hours for free. And if you pay a little bit more, they'll bring it to your door within an hour. Uh, And there's also a new perk that they added recently, Prime Reading. And this is access to hundreds of books and magazines for free. I'm actually a subscriber to Kindle Unlimited. I love cheesy romance novels, and there's tons of them available in Kindle Unlimited, so it's worth it to me. But you get access to certain books and magazines for free just by subscribing to Prime. Plus, the Echo's coming, coming, coming. As for Twitch Prime, their website notes that it is now globally available, with the exceptions of India, China, embargo territories, and Japan. So unfortunately, there's no timeline for when it's going to roll out in Japan, and I would expect, perhaps, when it does roll out, this will come alongside a price increase for Prime. Thanks for the question, Dan, and he can be found on Twitter at Fight Club, F-E-I-T Club God, that is a brilliant username. You should follow him because he's a writer and he gives great perspective on the Japanese video game world. He's always tweeting all sorts of wonderful things. So definitely check him out on Twitter. And if you have a question or want to hear more about some of the other streaming services in Japan, you know, I decided to focus on Amazon and Netflix partly because of his question and partly because the other streaming services are only available in Japanese and require you to sign up in Japanese. But if you're curious or have any other questions or comments or anything, tweet at me at Kaylee Dayo, K-A-Y-L-E-E-D-A-Y-O with the hashtag ZetaiGeekDayo so I can find it. A couple of notable products were announced this week. One was from Sony, the LF. S50G is an 18-watt, 360-degree smart speaker with Google Assistant and Chromecast audio support built in. It weighs 750 grams and has a mesh design, a bit like the HomePod. It also, under the mesh, it has a clock display, and it has a display for the four lights for Google Assistant. It comes in white, black, and blue, and goes on sale December 9th for 26,870 yen, that's tax included. It seems like suddenly we have competition for the Japanese smart speaker market. 
with Google making a huge push into the Japanese market. And of course, this week they released the Google Home Mini and Amazon and Line are on the move too. It would probably be in Apple's best interest to get the HomePod out in Japan soon. Although, of course, Apple will always do what Apple does on their timeline for sure. The other notable, infamous product announced this week was from Nishin Foods. Yes, Nishin, the Osaka company that makes both top ramen as well as cup noodles, perhaps one of the most popular foods here in Japan. Now, one thing you may or may not know is that in Japan, it's polite and proper manners to slurp your noodles as you eat. It both cools the noodles off as well as enhancing the flavor. Plus, it's polite. But some people, presumably foreigners, if the video is any indication, might think this is gross or weird. Thus, to overcome these cultural barriers and make the world a better place for all noodles, Nishin has announced the Otohiko Fork. It's a fork that, when paired with a smartphone, will slurp up your slurping sounds, convert them into something presumably more pleasant, and play them back through a smartphone app. Let's have a listen to that. Yeah, so the video's definitely worth watching. At the very least, I'm really happy to see that Nishin got foreigners and or half-Japanese actors, because you never know, who speak Japanese well. And it seems like Nishin's intentions are good. I mean, they seem to want to bring the world together through their noodles and overcome any cultural barriers that may be hindering that in the process. It also may be a marketing ploy, but I digress. Still... I don't know about this. Look, I, I promise you, I promise you, Japan is not as weird as you think. But even I have to admit, this is just weird. And it seems to be targeted at foreigners, yet the website has no English version. It had subtitles, but a lot of the documentation is in English. I, I'm just really confused. Personally, as a nekojita, a nekojita is a person with a cat tongue, i.e. a person whose tongue burns easily, like mine did this morning during breakfast. Boy, it's fun doing a podcast with a burnt tongue. Anyway, I like slurping up my noodles with chopsticks. I don't eat noodles very often anyway, just because I try to watch carbs. But if you are interested, the Otohiko Fork can be pre-ordered until December 15th for 14,800 yen. It actually seems to be like a Kickstarter kind of thing, where if all the pre-orders aren't filled by the date, then none of them will get produced. And they also seem to be calling this zero one, as in they're going to make more of these things. So stay tuned. So I know some people are dying to know, did I manage to get an iPhone 10? How did the pre-order process go? What's your experience been like ordering it in Japan? Well... In fact, I got precisely the one I wanted, the 256GB silver model. As for the pre-ordering process, I was kind of surprised to find out that the SIM-free models aren't available on launch day in the States. I guess I've just gotten used to them being available on release day here. Anyway, in the past, I've had difficulties with my Japanese credit card company rejecting online charges in excess of 100,000 yen for fraud prevention. So I decided this year I would pay for the phone up front by putting the full amount on Apple gift cards and adding them to the wallet app. 
This way, not only would the phone already be paid for, but the gift cards would easily be available for use in the Apple Store app, and I could minimize the risk of something going wrong. Naturally, something went wrong even before pre-orders went live. I purchased part of the amount in gift cards online, and the email from Apple included a link to add it into Wallet. I decided to purchase the remaining gift card in cash, so I hopped on my electric bicycle and headed down to the Shinsaibashi Apple Store. When I arrived, the store was packed with people lined up for iPhones. There were about 15 people in line, nearly all of them tourists, mostly Chinese. As the salesperson helped me purchase my gift card, two people nearby me were both buying iPhone 7s, not the Plus model, regular iPhone 7s. I'm really curious to see the sales figures as well as whether the 7s and 8s continue to sell well. Anyway, I got my gift card, biked home, and attempted to add it to the wallet app. In other countries, of course, the Apple Store gift cards include a QR code on the back that you scan to add the card to wallet. Unfortunately, Japanese Apple Store gift cards do not. I tried to generate a QR code, but the Japanese URL scheme seems to be different. And I even tried to purchase a digital gift card with my gift card, but that isn't allowed. So the next day, it was back to the Apple Store to see if anything could be done. The staff was kind, but it took about 20 minutes for them to understand what the issue was. I think they weren't quite sure why I wanted to add it to the wallet app, but nonetheless, they attempted many things, including using my gift card to purchase a new online gift card, as well as manually trying to add it to my existing card and wallet. But every time, the card number simply produced an error. Eventually, we had to escalate it to the upper-level staff, who also had nothing but errors. It was really confusing for everyone, but they searched through the menus, and after some persistence, they were finally able to add the full amount of my physical gift card to the online card I had in Wallet already, and all was well. As for the pre-order process, it went fairly smoothly for me, actually. I used the old close and reopen the Apple Store app repeatedly until it just works method. I had practiced the order process actually a few times last week prior to pre-orders, so I had the rhythm down. Add to bag. Bag. Checkout. Touch ID. Gift cards. Tap one. Tap two. Finish. And order. I had to be careful not to touch that or I would have ordered an iPhone 8, and we didn't want to do that early. But nonetheless, this time, success. All of my preparation had paid off. My new iPhone 10 will be arriving next Friday, which just happens to be a national holiday in Japan, so I'll have the day off. And in case you're wondering, next Friday is Steve Jobs Appreciation Day, of course. No, no, I'm kidding. It's Bunka no Hi, Culture Day. Well, at least for geeks, it's definitely a day of culture. And I'll have more on that, as well as my impressions and the full review of the iPhone 10 next week. For now, if you can, please subscribe in Overcast, Pocket Casts, or whatever app you decide to choose. It'd mean a whole lot to me. This show is also now available on Apple Podcasts. And you can find the show notes for this episode at platypuspodcasts.com slash geek slash two, which is also where you'll find links to all of my social media. And if you have any comments, questions, or topics you'd like me to cover, please tweet them at me at Kaylee Dayo, K-A-Y-L-E-E, D-A-Y-O on Twitter with the hashtag ZetaiGeekDayo so I can find them. Until next week, Ijol, Katie deshita. Bye bye. Seno, shuryo. ZetaiGeekDayo is a Platypus Podcasts production.